Welcome to the Pathway Podcast. This is the first week of our new series, Into the Wilderness. Lead pastor Jeremy Flanagan explores the story of the Israelites in the wilderness to challenge us to have courage in the pursuit of God's purpose for our lives. Stay tuned after the sermon for this week's Next Steps. This series that we're jumping into today, and for the next four weeks, I'm going to take a couple weeks, Jack's going to take a couple of weeks, talking about Into the Wilderness and looking at the nation of Israel uh, from the time that they have crossed the Red Sea and really after they've received the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai and everything else, from the time that they leave there and start going through the wilderness to take the Promised Land. And so uh, we're going to cover, you know, 40 plus years in four weeks, so I don't think we're going to get every detail in. Uh, But... When you look at the idea of going into this wilderness, that what God wants is on, for you is on the other side, right? What God wanted for the nation of Israel was on the other side of this wilderness. Told them exactly where, told them exactly what, told them how great it was going to be, and all they had to do was push through. And so, you know, for us in life, the same thing, that what we truly desire is usually on the other side of adversity. It's usually on the other side of a lot of hard work, a ton of faith. And then taking those uh, daily steps, making those constant choices of being who God wants us to be. And taking, you know, ground after ground after ground. This year, uh, our sermons through, uh, you know, this fall into to next spring are with the idea of explore. Of taking new ground. Of not just being satisfied with where we're at, but saying, how do we become the people that we wish everyone thought we were? How do we become the individuals who don't allow adversity to stop us? who don't allow obstacles to, to, to you know, create a path that we're unwilling to walk down, how do we overcome and push through? And so for the first couple of weeks, we're going to look at the idea that the wilderness is a place where faith can go to die. And in the next couple of weeks, we're going to be looking at it's also the same place where faith can be cultivated. The same area, the same set of trials, the same troubles, the same destination right, can either be the place where your faith goes to die or it can be the place where it has its greatest growth. The difference is not the place, it's not the situation, it's not the obstacles, the difference is you. Whether or not you are willing to make the choices to follow God even when those times are tough, whether or not that you will stay focused on the goal on the other side of that wilderness instead of allowing everything in the middle to distract you. The difference is us because God is there, his promises are true, and we have to learn to be the kind of people that are going to follow him. So we're going to be in Numbers chapter 13 and 14 for the most part today. I'll pull a couple of verses out of Isaiah and one out of Romans, but Numbers 13 and 14 is where we're going to be. And just to give you kind of an idea, just a little bit of a timeline about how we got here, um, we can go ahead and throw that slide up. And it It kind of shows you the timeline from maybe the story we know best about the nation of Israel in this time period when they were in Egypt and they were slaves in Egypt and um, then God sent Moses and then God performed the 10 plagues uh, on the nation of Egypt to get Pharaoh to finally let his people go. Uh, And so the timeline from then until they went to Mount Sinai where Moses received the 10 commandments and everything else is that um, you know, in March is, um, was around when the 10 plagues started. Uh, April, uh, you know, just a month later, you have the Passover. Um, once Pharaoh let them go, they were led by a cloud uh, during the day, a pillar of fire at night, led through the, the wilderness to the Red Sea. There's the crossing of the Red Sea there in the, around in the month of April as well. 
A couple of months later, they arrive at Mount Sinai, and uh, it's here. Then Moses goes up and takes leaders up at time, but then he goes also by himself and receives uh, the Ten Commandments. Um, and uh, after they've been there just a little while, the people start saying, well, what's happened to Moses? He's gone to the mountain. We haven't seen him. He's died. Let's already give up and go back home. Actually, before we do, let's create a God we can actually see and worship. And they convince Aaron uh, to take all the gold that they give him, create a golden calf uh, that they can worship. And so that's what you see just, just a month in. I mean, these people give up so, so fast. And they worship this golden calf. Uh, but then they spend about a year at Mount Sinai receiving the law, giving the law out to everybody. They create then the tabernacle uh, as they start to then move uh, through the wilderness. And it's about one year later, actually a little over a year. It's in the fall, uh, early, late fall of the next year that they arrive kind of in the wilderness just southwest of Israel. Uh, just right down there, looking in uh, there at the, the Negev and that wilderness, just the southwest kind of part of Israel looking up. And so that's where we arrive today. So the time between the ten plagues in Egypt and, uh, and then crossing the Red Sea and Mount Sinai and receiving the message from God and all that, year and a half. I mean, it did not take that long. right? Sometimes we think that maybe these were huge, long expanses of time. No, that one was, was pretty quick. And so a year and a half, they've experienced so many miracles. Absolutely so many miracles. Setting you up for Numbers 13. Verse 1. The Lord now said to Moses, Send out men to explore the land of Canaan. The land I'm given to the Israelites. Send one leader from each of the 12 ancestral tribes. So Moses did as the Lord commanded him. And he sent out 12 men, all tribal leaders of Israel, from their camp in the wilderness of Paran. Now you can read the next 14 verses if you want and go through who all these people were. The only two that kind of really come into play later are Caleb and Joshua. Um, as far as named, the other 10 individuals are lumped in as a group and you'll see why. But in verse 17, it says, Moses gave the men these instructions as he sent them out to explore the land. Go north through the Negev into the hill country. See what the land is like. Find out whether the people living there are strong or weak, few or many. See what kind of land they live in. Is it good or bad? Do their towns have walls or are they unprotected like open camps? Is the soil fertile or poor? Are there many trees? Do your best to bring back samples of the crops you see. And it happened to be the season for harvesting the first ripe grapes. And so imagine James Bond who also then has to bring like a cart and buggy full of crops back. And that's more or less what this group was being sent out on. Maybe not quite as much, but they were told to go into this country and, you know, a party of 12 people traveling through. Uh, as long as no one finds out that you came from this large mass moving up from Egypt, you're safe. But at any point in time, they could have been killed. I mean, it was a dangerous assignment. If anybody found out their purpose, um, they could easily have been, you know, uh, executed to keep them from going back. And so Moses sends them out. And uh, I have a map because I love maps. And so if you kind of want to have in your mind the distance that it took, the map on the left shows the starting point over on the far left, over there in Egypt, and everybody gathers up. And then they cross uh, the Red Sea. They go south down to the southern part of, um, of that peninsula down there uh, between what we know as the Red Sea kind of on the left and the Gulf of Aqaba on the right. And um, they go down there in the Mount Sinai region, 
go back up to the north. And there in the middle where you have all these big, you know, circular lines around, that's 40 years we'll get into starting next week. But in the middle of that is where you're at today, right? They get to that place that's southwest of Israel, just getting ready to be there. And then the map on the right shows you where they went from, where they were camped out southwest of Israel, and then the spies were sent pretty much through the middle of the country. They didn't actually go into what is known as, you know, what is Jerusalem. Uh, They went to to Hebron first, and they went up. Uh, They didn't go over to the coast. They just kind of went right between the coast uh, and the Jordan River. And so they went up through that and came back around. They're able to give a good report about exactly uh, what the country was like. But here's the thing I want you to understand. They weren't supposed to go in and question if they were to take the land. Moses simply told them to go figure out how. Right? The command was not for them to go into the promised land and decide if they could take it, if it was worth it, if uh, they would be able to do it quickly or, you know, or, or anything else. It, it was how. How are we going to take the promised land? God's promised it to us. He said he's going to be with us. He said that he's going to go before us. So how are we going to do it? Obviously, at this point, probably a southern route, and eventually, you know, they came in from the east, uh, crossed the Jordan, and then attacked the two hardest cities first. You know, that's something to think about. Coming in from the south would have been a much easier battle plan than what they eventually did. And, but Moses sent them up to go determine how. Come back and tell us how great the land is that God's giving to us. Come back and scout and let us know where the cities are at, which are going to be the difficult ones, what we face. Their job was not to determine if. When we get tripped up in life, when we get tripped up and we get derailed in the plans that we know that God has for us or the things that we just desire that that are, are good and godly things, either for our life or for our work or for our family or just for us personally and our discipleship. And then absolutely when it comes to the things of God that God always wants for all of us. You know, there are so many things in life. People say, well, I don't know what, you know, I'm supposed to do with my life. And I'm like, all right, well, first you're supposed to follow God. You know, if you're a kid, you're supposed to honor your parents. If you're a parent, you're supposed to raise your kids well. If you're a spouse, you're supposed to, to love and respect them. And uh, past that, quite frankly, I, I don't know that God cares that much. You know, that if you follow God and if you take care of these other things and responsibilities, then God gives us, you know, the latitude to be who we want to be, go where we want to go, do what we want to do. Just be the, the, the God follower that he expects of everyone, wherever they're at. And so we know what God wants us to do, and we know what we want out of life. You may have come from a place where you had a great example about life and what home could look like, what family could look like, and you're trying your best to try and capture some of that. Or maybe you come from a place where you didn't have what you wanted. You didn't have what God wanted. You know, God would have wanted something different for your family that you grew up in. And so your hopes and dreams are to catch on to something that you never had. All of us have aspirations ahead of what we think life would look like, should look like, what we want it to look like. But so few people are willing to put in the hard work day after day throughout all the obstacles to stay faithful to their focus and to their vision and to move through the wilderness. We all get derailed at some points in time 
But the question is, are we going through this world deciding if it is worth following God? And if his promises are worth grabbing onto? And if uh, we truly want to, to capture what God has put in front of us? Or are we simply going to say, yes, now I'm just going to determine how? Because I want to say right here, right now, that that makes all the difference in the world. It will make all the difference in the world in your life if you just accept that what God's path that he puts in front of every believer and then the specifics of yours and and the things that you're praying for and everything else, if you'll just accept that what God wants for your life in front of you is what you should want to take, what you want to grab hold of, and that you're going to move forward no matter what, if you'll decide that that's a yes, then all the other questions are simply how. That's where the nation of Israel got tripped up, and it's where we mess up. When out of a lack of faith in God, out of a lack of determination in ourselves, because we can say all day long that, well, we don't think we can take them. That's the answer you'll hear. We don't think we can do it. But what you will understand is that that is really a lack of faith in God because he has never promised that we have the ability to do it. He's just always said that he can. So let's keep going in Numbers 13 and verse 21. So they went up and explored the land from the wilderness of Zin as far as Rehob near Labohamath. Going north, they passed through the Negev and arrived at Hebron where Ahimon, Sheshah, and Talmai, all descendants of Anak, lived. The ancient town of Hebron was founded seven years before the Egyptian city of Zoan. And when they came to the valley of Eshcol, they cut down a branch with a single cluster of grapes so large that it took two of them to carry it on a pole between them. They also brought back samples of the pomegranates and figs. Jumping down to verse 25, it says, After exploring the land for 40 days, the men returned to Moses, Aaron, and the whole community of Israel at Kadesh in the wilderness of Paran, and they reported to the whole community what they had seen and showed them the fruit they had taken from the land. This was their report to Moses. We entered the land you sent us to explore, and it is indeed a bountiful country, a land flowing with milk and honey. Here's the kind of fruit it produces. But the people living there are powerful, and their towns are large and fortified. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. And the Amalekites live in the Negev, and the Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country. The Canaanites live along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea and along the Jordan Valley. But Caleb tried to quiet the people as they stood before Moses. Let's go at once and take the land, he said. We can certainly conquer it. But the other men who explored the land with him disagreed. We can't go up against them. They're stronger than we are. So they spread this bad report about the land among the Israelites. The land we traveled through and explored will devour anyone who goes to live there. All the people we saw are huge. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. And next to them, we felt like grasshoppers. And that's what they thought too. So more or less, all summed up, what God has promised, what God has said is attainable, right? What God has said is attainable, it's everything we want. But it's too much for us to grab onto. It's everything we could have dreamed about. It is everything that we have hoped for, but it is too much for us to take. And so that's their report. And so they come back and they start spreading it through, right? And they start trying to convince everybody else, no, we can't do this. We better not do this. Um, you know, and I, and I love that last verse that I read in verse 33 when, he, when they say out loud um, that 
Next to them, we felt like grasshoppers. Oh, and that's what they thought too. Did, did they go up to the descendants of Anak? Did they go up to the people of Hebron and they say, what do y'all think about us? Do y'all, do y'all think that we're small, tiny people and y'all could crush us like a bug? I, I, I really have a hard time envisioning that there is ever a point on their trip that you know the person that they bought food from said, you know what? I think we could crush your people. I don't even know who your people are. We would kill you because you're spies. But just in case you're wondering, we think this little of you. No. They said, we felt like grasshoppers compared to them. Oh, and that's what they thought too. I I just really feel like they're projecting. They're projecting their own fears and everything else onto what everyone else must think about them. I feel like we're grasshoppers. I feel that we're too small to do this. We as a group feel that we as Israelites don't match up against these other peoples. And oh, surely they must think it too. Surely they must think that we're weak. And surely they must think that our God can't do this. And surely they must be laughing at the opportunity to crush us. But really what it was, I truly believe, is just their own insecurities about who they were because they quit trying to decide how to take God's promises and they started questioning if. If they should, if it was worth it, if it was possible. And so here they are now and they've come back and they said, we can't take it. And then you have in Numbers chapter 14 and verse one, it says, the whole community began weeping aloud and they cried all night. Their voices rose in a great chorus of protest against Moses and Aaron. If only we had died in Egypt or even here in the wilderness, they complained. Why is the Lord taking us to this country only to have us die in battle? Our wives and our little ones will be carried off as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to return to Egypt? And then they plotted among themselves, let's choose a new leader and go back to Egypt. Think of that slide I I, I put up earlier in the timeline. I, I don't, you know do those things simply because I like them. I do. I I love numbers. I love maps. I love all that stuff on history. But I want you to think to yourself, what had they experienced in 16, 18 months? What had they seen with the plagues, with God leading them by a cloud and a pillar of fire, with the parting of the Red Sea? Then when they said, oh, they're coming to kill us, God, the God who's leading them by fire and parts the sea, and he's not going to be able to defeat an army. But then God does, and he crushes the army following them. And then they get to Mount Sinai, and it only takes a month of waiting on Moses. And, you know, and then they start saying, well, you know, this, this was a good run. Let's worship a new God. Let's put one that we can see. I mean, they have experienced so many, many miracles. And still yet here now, on one that is arguably probably one of the easier things for them to do on their own. You know, defeating Egypt? No, that battle plan wouldn't have worked. Crossing the Red Sea? Couldn't have done that on their own. You know, being protected from that army as it pursues them? Couldn't do that on their own, not even a chance. This one, the one thing that actually if God wasn't even involved at all, that they would have a shot to complete, which is to take over city by city and to grow stronger and to do that, the one thing that they actually with their own strength could at least try is the one now that they say again, yet again, can't, can't. It's too hard. 
It's not going to work. I want us to be people. People who are ready to put faith in God and move forward. No matter how many times we mess up. No matter how many times we get tripped up. No how many times we fall on our face. No how many times we fail. Because even if we fail once, that doesn't mean we're going to fail tomorrow. Even if God didn't just plow down every obstacle in our way, that doesn't mean that he isn't still working. And are we going to be people of how instead of if? And continuing in verse 5, Moses and Aaron then fell down, fell face down on the ground before the whole community of Israel. Two of the men who had explored the land, Joshua son of Nun and Caleb son of Jephunneh, tore their clothing. They said to all the people of Israel, the land we traveled through and explored is a wonderful land. And if the Lord is pleased with us, he will bring us safely into that land and give it to us. It is a rich land flowing with milk and honey. Do not rebel against the Lord and don't be afraid of the people of the land. They're only helpless prey to us. They have no protection, but the Lord is with us. Don't be afraid of them. They may have walled cities, but they don't have God. So they don't have protection. We can do this. But in verse 10, the whole community began to talk about stoning Joshua and Caleb. Then the glorious presence of the Lord appeared to all the Israelites at the tabernacle. More or less. Okay, I'm done. That's what starts in verse 11. You know, what I just talked to you about and everything else about trying to go through all the things that God had done, the prophet Isaiah, when he was trying to encourage the nation of Israel during a difficult time, he kind of said the same thing. To them in Isaiah 43 and verse 1, he was trying to remind them of what God had done. He said, but now, O Jacob, listen to the Lord who created you. O Israel, the one who formed you says, do not be afraid, for I have ransomed you. I've called you by name, you are mine. When you go through deep waters, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. So here the prophet Isaiah is more or less recounting for Israel some of the things that God had done. And he goes on to talk about rescuing them from Egypt and giving the land of Ethiopia and over. They're, they're, they're done. They, they were pushed aside so you could be free. He goes on down in verse 11. He says, I, yes, I am the Lord and there is no other Savior. First, I predicted your rescue. Then I saved you and proclaimed it to the world. No foreign God has ever done this. You are witnesses that I am the only God, says the Lord. From eternity to eternity, I am God. No one can snatch anyone out of my hand. No one can undo what I've done. Unless you give it back. When God's people followed him, no one could ever undo it. What God had done for them and God's protection of them and God leading them, God giving them strength, no one could undo what God had done. But Israel, time and time again, questioned if it was worth it instead of how can we move forward? How? Whenever you find a place in life where you feel crushed, where you feel like all of your hopes and dreams about what you want is, is slipping out of reach, or maybe it feels like it's already flown so far away, there's no way you can grab onto it. It is very simple in those moments in time to let the wilderness be the place where our faith starts to die. 
Not our faith in is God real or not our faith in Jesus as Savior, but our faith in whether or not we as individuals can lead the life that God wants us to lead. Whether or not leading the life God wants us to lead is gonna ever get us through this hardship. Whether even if we never fully get out of this hardship because there are consequences that we face from choices and actions or the actions of others that we had no choice in and we can't escape those. But is it worth still fighting through to keep pushing for what God says is on the other side of the wilderness? I can tell you this, if we quit asking if and we just say, God, how? How can I keep pushing forward? Not if it's worth it, but how can I overcome this heartbreak and sorrow? Not whether or not we'll ever achieve everything we want, but God, how can I keep moving towards the the path that conforms me more to the image of your son, Jesus Christ? How can I keep moving forward towards the goal and the perfect plan that you have? I always love one of the greatest illustrations that that I've, I've ever heard and uh, I don't have to butter Larry up, but it was one of his that he gave a few years ago when he was talking about families, when we did one of our family series about the pattern, right? And it works for families. It works for the Christian life or anything else that God has this perfect pattern that he wants us to follow. And anytime he talked about, you know, carpentry and if you have a pattern and you trace it and you cut the next and the next and the next, everyone gets a little further off, but the closer that you can get to trying to follow God's pattern, the better you are. And once we're off a little bit, it may never look exactly the same, but the harder we fight and we push through the wilderness to be as close as we can to what God wants us to be in our life, the better off we are. But we can choose to say, I'm questioning if, and I don't know that it's worth it. And God, I'm gonna quit fighting and pushing through, and I'm gonna let the obstacles turn me back around. I'm gonna let the fear push me back inside of of my own mind to where I tell myself I can't do it or it's not worth it. And God, I I just, we can't take this. We we can't keep moving forward. So there I said at, uh, you know, the, uh, the end of part of that passage that, of uh, verse 10 in Numbers 14 that God showed back up to the tabernacle. And he did, and he talks, and he said in verse 11, the Lord said to Moses, how long will these people treat me with contempt? Will they never believe me, even after all the miraculous signs I've done among them? I will disown them and destroy them with a plague, then I'll make you into a greater nation and mightier than they are. So here's one thing, and I always wonder what God was doing here, if he was trying to just make a point. God had already promised that these were going to be the people who inherit this land. And so that, that would have come to pass. I always wonder if he was trying to see what Moses would say or if he's just trying to scare them. You know, the number of times I've threatened my son's life, I mean, half of them, only half of them were, were real. The other half were simply to get his attention. And so, but he goes on and Moses prays and he says, God, please, you know, please once again, I know that these people keep turning from you and I know these people keep messing up and I know that they, you know, they, they don't just accept you at your word and they, and they just give up too often. But God, they're your people. Let us keep moving forward. The Lord says in verse 20, I will pardon them as you have requested. But as surely as I live and as surely as the earth is filled with Lord's glory, not one of these people will ever enter that land. They have all seen my glorious presence and the miraculous signs I performed both in Egypt and the wilderness. But again and again, they have tested me by refusing to listen to my voice. 
They will never see in the land I swore to give their ancestors. None of those who have treated me with contempt will ever see it. But my servant Caleb has a different attitude than the others have. He has remained loyal to me. So I'll bring him into the land he explored. His descendants will possess their full share of that land. Now turn around and don't go toward the land where the Amalekites and the Canaanites live. Tomorrow you must set out for the wilderness in the direction of the Red Sea. Some of the other verses we're not going to read here. You know, God says, you know, it's only been like 18, 20 months and, and they've already rejected me 10 times. And, uh, and so you start looking through and seeing all the different times that they've already questioned God. There at Mount Sinai, uh, you know, they, they do it in the wilderness. They do it at other times. You'll see them again, what I talk about next week, where they, they keep getting caught in the wilderness and focus on the desert and focus on the hardship and they lose sight of what they want, right? The promised land is everything we want, but we just don't believe we can take it. And it's that decision, that type of mindset that will lead you to a place you don't wanna be. It'll lead you to a place of ruin instead of hope. It'll lead you to a place of depression or despair instead of taking one step after another, no matter how difficult life is, but saying, how, God, can I move forward? How can I push through? You know, there are results and consequences, like I say, um, you know, I'm in my 40s now and I can look back and I can start saying, well, if I'd have done this different, this part of my life would be easier. And if I'd have made those choices, then it would be simpler. My, my marriage would be better. I'd be a better parent and everything else. And you know what? I'm 100% right. I've messed up a lot. And my life could be easier and I could have been a better husband. I could have been a better parent. Y'all all know I could be a better preacher. I could be a better pastor. There are so many things that I could have changed and worked harder at or done better at and I could be better in all of those aspects and life would be so grand, right? Two things. Number one, every time that we create this false sense of how great life could have been or how great it could be, um, that, that's a dream. And no matter those great decisions I would have made, there have been other bad ones I would have made, and life is still gonna be filled with hardships and difficulties. All right, so get out of your own headspace if you just tell yourself, well, life is hard and it could have been so great and everyone else's life is great because all I see on their social media are all the great pictures and everything else. And just understand that everyone is having to choose whether or not to push through a wilderness or to stay there. And then on the second side of that, is that no matter what mistakes we've made, no matter what consequences we face, no matter what hardships that we're gonna deal for the rest of time, the hope that God has in front of us is still wonderful and it's still worth pushing towards. And however our lives can be close to the pattern that God won't want, his perfect pattern is something that none of us will ever emulate. But the harder we try, the better life will be. Right? I always love seeing those pictures of, of kids. My mom was a kindergarten teacher, which is why my skills at being able to take scissors and cut out laminated things is amazing. It is, because I used to have to do that every summer in preparation for her classrooms. But, you know, I always love, and if you see what the kids drawing back and everything else, but, you know, all the kids in the class, 20 kids, and that have one picture that they're supposed to draw, right? And they all draw the same picture of a horse, and some of them look like they could potentially survive. Most of them look malnourished or made out of sticks or, you know, something's really, really, really wrong. Um, but it's so interesting to see all the different pictures that those little five-year-olds would come up of the same 
picture. You know, in our lives, all look way different than that perfect, that perfect example of Jesus Christ. But I don't want you to give up because right now your little horse stick figure looks pretty sickly. The key is, is to keep drawing. Keep getting closer and keep pushing through the wilderness. Israel chose not to on that day. They chose not to, and where did God send them? Back the way they came. Now, they weren't actually going back to the part of the Red Sea over to the west that they crossed, but over to what we call the Gulf of Aqaba, and they were going, but they were going back down into the wilderness, back the way they came. That's what happens to us whenever we reach a point and we see the hardship and we have to make that difficult decision and we say, it's not worth it then all that energy that we expended to get there, all the work that we did to get on the precipice of doing something wonderful and that we will be excited about what the next step is in our life, we just go back the way we came. Not only that, but he said, here's the consequences for you. None of y'all are gonna see it. He tells them in some of the the scripture we're not gonna read here in Numbers 14, he tells them that your children will be there, but you won't. He actually says to them, "I'm, I'm gonna give you what you wish for. Because they said, we should have just died in the desert. And God says, done. Done. I'm going to let you have what you wish for. Your kids are going to get to take the promised land. But for the next 40 years, they're going to have to be shepherds in the wilderness. Now we'll talk next week about the difficult decision that we have to make. When you realize that your life is never going to be all the things that you dreamed it would be, right? And whether or not you are willing to make the decisions to still Get as close as you can and then set it up for future generations. That's a hard decision. That's a hard decision still making sacrifices if you, if you realize that it's never gonna be everything you had hoped for. Instead, you get to decide whether or not your hopes can become making life better for everyone around and after you. That's a hard choice to make. But God gave them their wishes. He says, done, you will die in the desert. Now this promise will move on to, to your kids provided they continue to follow. Their path into the promised land 40 years later was much harder than the one their parents could have taken, right? It was much harder. But God said, all right, y'all have given up and we're moving on. So as we end this message today and next week we're gonna talk about them still making decisions and losing focus about what God was doing for them and wanted to do for them, I want you to realize that The same place in your life where you can give up, the same place that feels like there's no path forward, the same place that feels like nothing you do is gonna change anything or matter is the exact same spot where your faith can grow the most. You just have to decide. Are we gonna be people who ask if it's worth it? Or are we just gonna say how? How, God? I want to close with one passage this morning as our worship team comes forward. We've looked at those passages in Isaiah where God talked about his prayer and he talked about uh, everything that uh, he had done for them and through the prophet has, was reassuring them and letting them know all of the great things God had done to remind them it's the same God that if you'll just follow me now, I've done all these things. I'm still here with you. And for us today, if you're here and you have question whether or not the fight is worth it to try, and, to try and keep moving forward in life, trying to grab on to the things that you want, to the things that you know God would want for you, it is worth it. 
And he tells us that. But if you're here also today and you just have questions about who God is and you have questions about what faith means, I just want to share this passage with you today in Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10 and verse 9. God promises us and he gives us our opportunity to follow. And he says, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you're made right with God. It is by openly declaring your faith that you were saved. And the scriptures tell us anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. So if you're here today and you've had questions about faith at all, or maybe you're caught up in your wilderness and, 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 and so those questions of God have been pushed to the back. I wanna tell you this morning that we started off early in the worship service seeing a picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And seeing that reminding us of what God has promised and what he offers to everyone and that all we have to do is take it. Thank you for listening. We challenge you to take some next steps this week. One, what spiritual goal have you not reached because fear of obstacles, failure, or difficulty has kept you from moving forward? Focus on God's promises to be with us. Commit to move forward. Two, standing by yourself is difficult whether you are one of only a few people doing what is right or if you feel alone in trying to follow God. Know there are other believers in the same place. Seek out people to encourage and strengthen you. For more information about small groups, Pathway Kids, or anything Pathway related, contact us at pathwaybaptist.com connect.